so I guess this is uh, podcast number one, Rachel Franks, uh, maybe a tester, just to see um, how bad my voice sounds maybe on uh, on a recording. Um, it's going to be weird when I listen back, but I thought I'd start with my story, just to enlighten people on uh, what, how I got to where I am now, because... That is innately why I'm doing what I'm doing, uh, why there's a purpose behind it, uh, based on my own experience of education, um, learning uh, and personal development. So uh, I'm going to call this one, Are We Nearly There Yet? And that has poignancy both in the past, um, through my growth, and also in what I'm hoping to portray across this series of blogs that I'm going to be using some guest, guests to come along to as well. So I've got some interesting ones that I'm going to get lined up for you. So uh, why are we nearly there yet? Well, I, I, as, a, as a child growing up, I was one of four siblings. We were very close and we would all cram into a Peugeot 504 family estate um, with two brothers in the back, um, me and my sister in the front duvets and pillows around us as we drove um, across the country and uh, down to uh, to the ferry to go to France where we would um, be in villas or, or tents or caravans or whatever it was and the the old age question of are, are we nearly there at, as a kid you just didn't feel like you were ever going to get there. And that translates through into my story as you go along, as you you will see. But ultimately, um, it was a really happy childhood, as I remember it. It was all the fights and squibbles and the usual thing with a bunch of siblings uh, vying for attention or things at Christmas and so on. Uh, But yeah, ultimately a happy one. Going into school, um, I'm not sure any of us were particularly outstandingly academic. Um, but I know that for me personally, and being told what felt like consistently that I was non-academic, um, at the time, I didn't realise what I was hearing was that I wasn't intelligent. Um, this is quite subtle as you go through school, as I'm sure some of you can imagine. Um, but being told permanently not academic, so do the arts, I was encouraged to do graphics design, ceramics, drama, this kind of thing, which I really enjoyed uh, and which I really appreciated in terms of I felt like it was a safe environment. Um, And being in those sort of safe environments um, was a kind of a theme for me uh, whereby I just wasn't growing. So going through school and not feeling very academic, I guess I was sort of churned out the other end and feeling lost. And I think probably one of my first, uh, you know, the feeling of my worst memory, if you like, was being on the dole, being around about 18, feeling worthless. I had no no vision, no passion, no, no drive, no goal. I felt like I was just in a limbo state. Everybody else is going through college, university, they've got jobs, and I just felt like a failure. I felt like... I didn't know what I wanted to do. How could I put my attention into anything? Um, and so it was a really, uh, really down time for me. And um, I don't want to for a minute ever claim to have felt depression. I know mental health, mental health is a big thing these days. And I, I certainly haven't 
gone through that. But for me, um, as my barometer, if you like, of mental health, it was a very low time. Well, my first experience of a really low time after having such a happy, healthy childhood. So I, I guess I was kind of gifted with a bit of a sense of humour and a bit of a, I was a bit ballsy. And um, so I started to um, get into crowds, groups, if you like, where I was a bit of an entertainer. And that attention was, was I guess, stroked my ego. Uh, sadly, it was um, attention that was gleaned from uh, a group of friends who like to dive all, uh, sorry, like to dive into the sort of um, chemical enhancement of confidence, if you like. So, yeah, I went down the route of drugs, um, smoking, eating badly, uh, not sleeping much, and then sleeping a lot, um, and really sort of not going down a great route. Um, and yet, at the same time, my work ethic was really strong. Somehow, I managed to hold down, uh, you know, several jobs at a time. I liked um, being, to some degree, independent, um, but uh, I was still wholly reliant on my mum and dad, obviously. Um, but somehow, I managed to get away with being really uh, abusive to my body over the weekends, and so uh, that obviously wasn't going to be sustainable. Somewhere along that route, I, I did manage to meet um, some really cool people who weren't into all that stuff. And one of them actually remembered me while she was, um, I don't know why, out in Greece. Uh, and she was dancing as part of a, a cabaret troupe in Athens in Greece, uh, sorry, in Crete in uh, Greece. And she rang me one Tuesday night and it just happened to be at a time when I had no job, no boyfriend, no nothing. She said, we need somebody out here pretty quickly. One of the girls has broken a leg I know you can do it and I'm like staggered me you know and I've done a bit of uh, ballroom Latin American a bit of disco uh, in my sort of um, school days and so I mean I, I went, yeah yeah why not mum kind of had a foot in my back um, to, to get me out the door and I, I found out years later that it was she said it was one of the hardest things she had to do uh, but she knew it was right for me and so I found myself flying out on my own on a plane to a foreign country thinking what the hell am I doing you know uh, landed in uh, in Heraklion in Crete and I was greeted by Melinda the, the, the girl who'd given me a call and she, she picked me up in a taxi took me back and I saw what I let myself in for and I realized whoa okay so they're not all six foot blondes with legs up to their armpits and then when I worked in the head girl said Oh, wow, they're going to love you. Uh, sounded ominous at the time, but um, that's where my life began to change. And so, you know, the six years that I lived in Greece and Tokyo and Hong Kong and all these different countries dancing for a living um, was a real point of growth. So I'd come out of this sort of bad phase of, of abuse of my body and my mental health and into this growth phase where I recognise that there isn't a toilet roll fairy who just pops fresh toilet rolls out there when you run out. Um, I learned about true independence when we didn't get paid for two weeks and we literally had to steal crates of oranges and potatoes to survive. We all got chronic diarrhoea, by the way. <laughs> so I can look back now and, and laugh 
but at the time, you know, it was pretty horrific. But we survived, we did it, because we wanted to show our parents that we could do it. So again, it was a growth phase. Um, and I came back from that whole experience, quite a different character. Um, I had been very selfish when I went away, and I realised the importance of, you know, uh, working as part of a team. Um, I learned about compassion for others, um, you know, seeing sort of poverty on the streets and that kind of thing, particularly in Greece. So I came back and I, I recognised I needed to, you know, I needed to do something with myself. So I started to go down the route of the care industry. It was one that I kind of fell into relatively easily after watching my mum. Uh, she'd been a teacher working in sort of special needs, it was called back then. Um, and, and I kind of enjoyed that side of it, helping people, uh, being in that environment. And so I got a few NVQs in the care world, uh, did some counselling courses, um, and I was with a, a care agency. But that was in itself, in some respects, quite depressing. Um, understanding how poor the care industry really was at caring due to um, costs and, and politics uh, and those kind of things. So uh, I managed to um, get two private care jobs with um, a disabled lady who had a six-month-old baby girl. She was married, uh, very, very, very smart, doing a PhD at Loughborough University, uh, but she needed 24-hour care. She had cerebral palsy. Uh, we got on really well. She took me on uh, pretty much full-time, but I also kept a job with um, a guy called Chris, um, after his mum um, wanted some help with him, he, had a Sper he has Asperger's syndrome, which is kind of on the autistic spectrum, and she wanted some help um, to, um, you know, sporadically to help take him out when uh, he was staying with her, um, even though he lived up in Sunderland. So anyway, I got involved in this care industry, and at the same time, personally, I was enjoying gyms which is uh, something I got into whilst I was in Greece actually my Greek dance agent Dimitri who's um, he's 74 now he's got the body of a 20 year old um, and I started getting into a gyms then so when I got, came home I enjoyed that gym environment and whilst I was doing these care jobs I started to gain uh, fitness qualifications so exercise to music was really my my thing back then uh, and still is actually today my favorite form of exercise and certificates along the way and I started working in a gym locally doing these classes so I was managing to balance these jobs out because I kind of I enjoyed them um, they were giving me a purpose they were giving me a buzz and they ticked all my boxes uh, they kept me clean they kept me healthy and um, I was moving which I enjoyed I loved movement moving the body um, etc so it was in 2006 whilst I was working in this gym that I um, was approached by one of the members who I knew really well, actually Martin Haynes, he was a chartered physio, his wife was a physio, his daughter was a dancer, his son was um, starting to get into the fitness industry and he approached me to tell me about some research he'd done, some, or some data he collected and he wanted to put together some education, he wanted me to help. Now at the time I thought, I've got no idea why this guy is asking me to help but um, as always, I just stuck my hand up, yeah, 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 sure, great, I wanted to be involved in everything. Somebody was going to ask me for my input, yeah, yeah, I'll have a go at that. And I found myself being invited to these classrooms where Martin and another physio, Raj Shuttleworth, and a sports therapist, Nigel Morgan, 
and we were discussing things that I had no clue what these guys were talking about. Um, you know, I knew it was fitness, I knew it was exercise, um, but I just, uh, I just felt out my depth. But this guy, Martin Haynes, he kept looking at me and asking my opinion, and he actually thought I could have some valuable input, and, and that really, that blew me away. I was like, I felt like I really needed to, I needed to, I don't know what the word is, I needed to come back with something. He believed in me. I had to, you know, uphold this belief that he had in me, even though I didn't have it, and, and I had to give my feedback. So I kind of had a go. I went back to the books. I started studying. I did more courses, and along the way, you know, I did start to learn a little bit. I learned a lot from him. You know, he put me into situations which made me uncomfortable, uh, but in a good way. You know, I was teaching segments of this education to other professionals, and he would help me out and back me up and support me and you know I messed up sometimes and uh, but it was I was growing it was a point of growth and so we became mobilist performance which was the education section of a big um, mobilist healthcare company and for a couple of years um, we did this education with sports coaches and one day kind of workshops and the content was really heavy uh, although we didn't recognise that at the time, other than the learners were kind of walking away with deer in headlights looks on their faces, we started to realise actually we, we could probably, you know, dumb this down a little bit. And so uh, we started to develop the education a little bit more, look at how to structure it. And along the way, I got a teaching qualification, which enabled me to input into that section a bit more. So I felt like I was contributing more from a the perspective of what I was good at. Mobilis um, Healthcare sold the company, and so we decided at that point that we were going to set up on our own. We became Intelligent Training Systems in around about 2009, and that grew really quickly. The team um, expanded uh, uh, to um, a group of people who uh, became lifelong friends, still are colleagues, um, still rubbing shoulders, still in contact still a huge amount of respect for, for many of those guys um, and we developed the education further we went international we were traveling I mean we took six teachers over to um, North Carolina to teach 50 personal trainers and so it really was taking off and we were all there was four of us um, there was also uh, there was Martin uh, Mike Bryce of movement therapy clinics there was Anthony Fletcher who is down in Kensington, working with Equinox and those guys. And so we really developed the education side of things. But I think uh, if we're all very honest with ourselves, we didn't really get business. And so over the years, we started to realize that we were not where we needed to be. And so in 2013, we took a very um, big decision to close ITS down. It was a painful one because it did mean that um, three of us who had invested heavily into ITS were um, close to losing everything at that point. But it was to maintain integrity and serve our learners. We knew it was the right thing to do. And so we, we painfully closed that down. ITS wasn't doing what it should. It was doing too many things, software, education, consultancy, innovation. And so we took a little bit of time out while we serviced 
the learners that we made promises to as ITS. And there was a six month period that was very uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable because we were basically closing down something we worked really hard to put together. It was blood, sweat and tears for all of us. Um, emotionally, physically, financially, certainly for, for some of us. Um, and it was a tough time. It was a time for reflection. What do we really want to do? Where are we all going? And so Martin and I came back together at one point and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do the education. I said, I, I believe in it. It's the part I feel strong, most strongly about. And so he said, great, it's yours. Go for it. He said, that's not what I want to do. I want to do innovation, design and consultancy. And so we, we agreed to obviously continue working together, uh, but we left uh, each other in terms of the business structure. I set up biomechanics education around 2013, uh, 14. Excuse me, and Martin set up Brightspark. Mike set up Birmingham Movement Therapy Clinics. Fletch is obviously doing his thing down in London. And so it kind of became um, me. And that was scary, exciting, uh, time consuming. And so I spent sort of two years literally immersed in business so one of the things I'd realized was you really have to face things head-on you've got to recognize your weaknesses face them head-on dive into them work out ways to develop those areas so I spent two years spending no money on business because I didn't have any uh, I had nothing I set up biomechanics education from nothing. I've still borrowed nothing. I've never had an overdraft, never, never loaned anybody. I literally built it from the ground up. And um, I, I faced things head on, as I said, with business. I took all the free stuff, Chris Cardell, Richard Branson, um, you know, uh, there was Gary Vee, uh, Paul Moore at the time, um, Ben Coomber, a bunch of guys out there that were giving away free information on business. I gathered it all up. Uh, good old Brian Tracy taught me how to time manage. Uh, Tony Robbins gave me some inspiration on um, structure and the power of the mind and taking action. And I was doing it. And all the time I was thinking, right, I'm nearly there yet. You know, I just want to, I've got a plan. I've got a one-year plan. I've got a five-year plan. I've got a ten-year plan. And so these plans were coming together. But I was always thinking... Am I there yet? No, I'm not quite there yet. I've got, I've got to do this. I need to grow. I need a bigger team. I need more bums on seats and so on. And so, Biomechanics Education became a limited company. Um, and uh, actually, last year in 2019, we got our first venue. So, we were sort of hiring venues. And I, and I say we because it is a we. Uh, business is a very lonely world out there, as I know a lot of you listeners will recognize. But but actually, there was a we there. There was a we because the we was still Martin, who was um, a, it still is a close colleague, Mike, Fletch, um, learners, um, other trainers, people I'd met along the way, um, just people I knew. And one of the most important lessons I'd learned, it was from um, a lady called Bridget Jones, who she trained a bunch of master trainers for me last year. And I met her 20 years ago. She was my studio coordinator. And one of the things she said to me was, it's a really small world. Every single person you meet could be the next 
person to change your life. And I, and I took that and I've, I've kept that in mind all the time and it stood me in good stead. And so I've treated people with that kind of idea of how I'd like to be treated, that they could actually be the next person to come along and, you know, change something. And so as I sit here now and I think about um, where I've been, what I've done, you know, I've been have I been lucky or is it the law of attraction? Have I been lucky or is it that I've put myself out there, that I've stretched myself? I've looked back and I think the most painful times for me were the times of growth. I, I took that lesson, that uncomfortable lesson, and I took it and I ran with it and I faced it head on. And I don't know where that came from. I guess innately it was with my parents. There was some drive from um, being called a non-academic and sort of through Martin's help, you know, finding myself standing in front of a bunch of physios when I was a level two, technically a level two gym instructor, teaching them about human movement biomechanics and thinking, do you know what, maybe I've got something here. But I think where my skill comes in is my passion and my passion is really to show the non-academics out there how smart they really are, how much you can make a difference. Uh, and you don't need a degree, you don't need a master's. Um, you know, you can still help people. And so through the education experience that I'm, I'm proud of being able to encourage and help the inclusive environment, the, the ability to enjoy the learning process, the ability to empower an individual to work it out themselves, that's where I really thrive. That's where I personally get joy. And so now what I'm doing is I've got a team of 10 master trainers, thanks to Bridget um, last year, who were all biomechanics coaches. They all came through the education process. And either they stood out to me or they approached me and said, you know, I want, I want, to, get, I want to get involved. But what I've seen in those guys and the reason they've been chosen is that same integrity, that same ability to empower, that same kind of quality of character that is humble and honest. Um, there's no kind of arrogance there. There's, there's a, a real innate nature to listen, hear, and then empower others in the way they are, the way they speak. And I'm super excited about the future now. And so the title of this podcast being, Are We Nearly There Yet? One of the most valuable lessons that I've learned along the way is, is the power of now. Is the power of recognizing you've got to enjoy the moment. You've got to take the pain and, and recognize it as it's going to be a lesson at some point, even if at that point when it's most painful, you don't know what it's going to teach you. At some point when you pass through that Kubler-Ross curve of emotion, you're going to get to a point of moving on, coming up the other side and recognizing the value of that lesson. So um, really, that's where I'm at right now. Um, I'm in a great place. Um, am I there yet? No, uh, but also yes. <laughs> I've got lots of plans for the future, but you know what? Right now, um, I may not be a multimillionaire. Um, I may not be mortgage-free yet. You know, there's things I still want to do. There's still dreams. There's still 
um, a vision. But right now, I'm able to love every moment, every day I wake up, I recognize um, the beauty of what I've achieved. I can look back and feel success. Um, I relish meeting more learners. I relish uh, meeting more master trainers that I'm going to train in the future. I relish mentoring these guys and learning from them as I do that. Learning from every learner that comes into the academy. Spreading the word about the love of human movement, the love and joy of learning, whether you're an academic or not. Even if you can't recall the exact attachment of a particular muscle, so what? You're helping people enjoy being in their own skin and love and enjoy movement. And that really is what it's all about for me. So I hope you've enjoyed this first podcast. Um, if you have, obviously let me know. You can get in touch at rachel at um, You can hop over to my social media where you can not only listen but see uh, because movement is what it's all about so you can get over on instagram there's a load of stuff on there twitter um also on facebook you've got the biomechanics education page and the rachel france page i'd really like to hear from you has anything resonated with you in anything i've said does this mirror any of the feelings you've had what would you like to hear me talk about maybe you want me to talk about something in particular are there any people you would like me to talk to so you can listen to us converse? Is this a good medium for you? So uh, that's me, over and out, podcast one, Rachel France. Are we nearly, nearly there yet? So this episode, I just want to really post some sort of questions uh, that I've been having recently around uh, movement and what seems to be an apparent fear of it. Um, and okay, we talk about clients or participants having knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, all the common niggles or issues that they, they tend to get bracketed into. But I'm wondering about this this sort of snowballing fear of movement uh, and this trend towards the sort of um, anything that makes your life easier in terms of gadgetry and, and cars and the internet etc and so when people do go to move they feel uncomfortable they feel stiff they feel lazy or, or low in energy and what, I, what seems to be a fear of movement so I guess really what I'm saying is do you agree how do you see this epidemic of physical ailments complaints and issues and how it translates into uh, fear and lack of confidence in movement and a, a sort of a low enjoyment of movement like people are celebrating being able to sit down or um, you know they're complaining about doing a physical chore like gardening or putting up a shelf or I've got to do the washing when actually they're also complaining about being sat at a desk all day at work so should we not be encouraging our clients and participants to look at the day-to-day -day monotonous, or they're, they're called monotonous chores of life, like washing, gardening, cooking, cleaning, should we not be celebrating them as, as an excuse to move? Fighting for the hoover um, or, or the window cleaning cloth? Should that not be a kind of a, an excuse to move rather than something we want to get out of? So, I'm really interested in what you're thinking about this, so I'd, I'd like you to get in touch, 
and let me know what your experience is with your clients and your participants of this fear of movement. And I mean, I, what I'm not talking about, I don't think, is the people who've had surgery and they've been given certain exercises and they're a bit worried because they've, they've got stitches or, you know, that's not really what I'm talking about. That That's natural. That's part of the healing process is to move slowly out of surgeries into rehab and then post rehab. Yes, we do need to be mindful of that demographic in terms of their confidence in movement. But what I'm talking about is uh, a fear of movement and a, and a lack of joy of movement. Um, the other thing I think this ties into is um, children and from, you know, first days at school, we're told to sit still, sit down at our desks. Um, the PE curriculum seems to be minuscule these days. Um, I, I'm not sure what it is now, but I remember uh, when I was at school, yes, we wanted to get out of it. Uh, we used to hide in the hedge and uh, I maybe even smoked a sneaky fag, but that's between me and you, don't tell anyone. Um, but at the same time, we were all going to after-school clubs, we were in gymnastics, we went to youth club. We didn't have telephones, so we literally had to walk everywhere. So I think that was kind of a different era where there was sometimes more of an excuse to not do a physical activity because you were physically active most of the day. Whereas now, surely we should be finding excuses to move and reasons to move. Yeah, I, I feel quite strongly about it, obviously, being a movement geek and sort of trying to teach people on a daily basis how to move well and move more. So I'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, you can get hold of me, Rachel, at biomechanicseducation.com um, or you can go through the website, uh, biomechanicseducation.com. Um, let me know your thoughts.